now let's get information. I slay. Okay, ladies, now let's get information. You know you that bitch when you cause all this conversation. Always stay gracious, best revenge is your paper. Hey, hey, welcome to the Vagistine Podcast. It's Vanessa here where we're having courageous conversations about love, sex, and everything in between. And today we have on Tiffany who's an amazing, sex-positive, hold on, millennial, queer, polyamorous, person living (laughs) with HIV, just a bomb-ass HIV-positive activist, and I'm so excited that you're on with us today having this conversation. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm excited to have you on. I'm doing well. It's been a... It's been a long day, but I'm excited to oh. to finally chat with you. Yeah, are you self caring? Make sure you self care. Oh my goodness! Like well, t- <laughs> it is the start of <laughs> masturbation month. I have not I have not done my self care today, but um, but hopefully in the next couple of weekends, hopefully this weekend, I get to just like <laughs> sit and chill. But yes, I'm trying to like incorporate self care little by little. Like reading mm-hmm. and like sitting outside, <laughs> especially like today. I know you're in Florida, but and you have nice weather all the time. But today is like our first nice day, so yeah, I will be sitting outside soon. <laughs> Yay! Go ahead, girl. I love it. <laughs> so, Tiffany, tell us who you are. What do you do? Who are you? Who am I? Well, okay, first of all, so again, thank you for having me. Anytime. Um, I guess to sum up my existence, I, I'm just a, a radical black girl. I'm just, I was born with HIV and mm-hmm. identify as poly. I have currently two lovers. One is negative, one is pop, uh, positive. And I have a, me. a thing. I, I know, I get them. You see, I get them. <laughs> um, now, uh, I have a passion for, I just have a passion for, you know, publicly documenting my sexual journey. And um, I'm legit, like, one half a step away from being a cam girl. So, you never know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you said that you were born HIV positive. How, mm-hmm. how has that journey been? When did you find out? And how has that propelled you into, I mean, I'm calling, I might be calling it activism. Um, you might call it something else, but for, I'm, I'm using activism. How did that propel you into your activism or just being so outspoken about your status and being who you are? Well, I, I think, um, also taking the context, you know, I was born in 91, I'm 26. So as a kid, uh, growing up, I was really isolated. And my mom didn't really know how to deal with HIV stigma. I was adopted. Mm. So my adoptive mom, God bless her, um, who was Puerto Rican, just loved on this little black girl, which was me, <laughs> and raised me, I think, as best as she can. It's just it's hard because she didn't know. Her way of dealing with stigma was just not talking about HIV in the house mm. and not allowing me to do... Like, I was really, as you can imagine, I was really extra extroverted, very bubbly, very all over the place. And mm-hmm. if I had my way, I probably would have been in gym, soccer, t-ball, gym, you name mm-hmm. it, I would have done it. Yeah. And I wasn't able to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And also, I, I, growing up, um, I on, on the side note, deal, I dealt with a lot of emotional abuse from a, an immediate family member. Mm-hmm. So my biggest thing, especially now, is just to just kind of figure out what part of the self-hate is from the HIV and what's from the abuse. And through understanding my sexuality since I found, I think I've been masturbating since I was like seven. Mm-hmm. I I found HBO at 2 a.m. 
<laughs> which had all the good stuff. You know what I'm talking about. I had like a good juicy stuff. I was like, whoa. And uh found the power of a, my clitoris and just, just you know, uh, as of recently, I just started to really expand on that. So when did you actually, did you always know that you had HIV or was it something like your mom one day was like, all right, so listen, <laughs> there's Let's this talk. thing, <laughs> we got to talk, you may not understand what I'm saying, okay, bye, like how did that bye. conversation go? go? Go to school, see you, bye. Well, <laughs> so my mom, I think my mom never hid my curiosity, like if I had asked her, she would just tell me, that's one thing I have to give her props for, I mean, mm-hmm. if I wanted to know what that hair was, she would say pubes, mm-hmm. if, you know, I want someone HIV, she would tell me, I, I think she... I always knew that I was taking these medicines for a reason and with HIV. I didn't know or understand the implication of HIV until mm. I hit puberty. Oh. Like, it didn't really, I didn't really care about it until blood came out and I got horny one day and I was like, oh, I want to kiss and fuck boys. My mom's like, well, no. No. Yeah, you can't wow. do that. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh. So how did that yeah. feel? Like how did that experience feel? And then were you just like, "F it, I'm gonna do me," or did it just isolate you? I mean, because the isolation, I think in my personal case, I've always been super aware of my genitals and mm-hmm. how I react to other folks. I've been, I've never been a sexually abused or raped or anything, so mm-hmm. I know my appreciation for my sexuality and, and intimacy and craving um, sexual uh, sexual people around me, sexual energy comes from a place of. Um, just not knowing going with the flow. Mm-hmm. So I think in my case, when puberty hit, I think I generally speaking, if I didn't have HIV, I think I would have been one of those girls that you would have to watch out for, quote unquote, because she'd be the one trying all types of stuff. <laughs> like, and not not in a negative way. I think if we lived in a more sex positive world, yeah. I would have really relied on. Like I know this, there's like a, a thing going around with sex positive parenting. Like I, I would have really benefited from sex positive mm-hmm. parenting, and somebody telling me about masturbation, somebody telling me about body autonomy at a young age. Mm-hmm. But because I didn't have that, um, I guess the best way to deal with the urges was to kind of hide them off mm-hmm. and to isolate and keep myself from jumping on the first person that you know I want to jump on. Mm-hmm. So what do you think are the biggest myths associated with young young folks in HIV, and especially since you're doing this work and being so outspoken about it? How, yeah, how do you, I guess the thing for me that comes up when I think about HIV is that I, I think there's just still such a miseducation about it. Just like recently I was doing a health fair and one of the questions that, you know, I asked people who come to the table, like what are the four bodily fluids? that can potentially spread, you know, STIs and HIV. And folks were like, spit <laughs> and, you know, oh, poop. God. And and, it, and it's like, no matter the age, I feel like there are, there's still um, just so much just miseducation and not knowing, not just not knowing the basics. And so I can't mm-hmm. even imagine with folks just like not knowing the basics and probably still having a stigmatized, world out there and then just knowing folks and not I I don't think I've ever I think I keep associating um HIV is like folks who are older like not really thinking about like there are still folks who are born with it or there are still folks mm-hmm. you know who are young um that have it so yeah what do you think are mm-hmm. the biggest myths associated with young folks and HIV and dating and loving and living and being out there 
Right in my alley. Well, um, I hope you're comfortable because I have quite an opinion on this. Please. Uh, woo, are you comfy? Because here it goes. Hey, here uh, I am, what? sitting. <laughs> get, are you sitting comfy? Okay, got your drink, got your water, all my listeners. You guys comfortable too? Cool. <laughs> well, well, first, let me just break down the hate towards young folks that I, I have observed. I'm a, also on a side note, I'm also a social worker. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a lot of people think that we're entitled. They think that the breakdown of nuclear homes and marriages, divorce rates, social media, that we're all these entitled, like, little brats. And mm. I think that when it comes to, which I just completely hate, I think that we are simply resisting. We are changing the dialogue. We're changing the, the conversation around sex. In regards to HIV-positive young folks, I have known um, some young folks who have passed away from complications of AIDS. Mm. So, yeah, so they're still passing away. We're still here. I I am more upset at that the fact that the system continues to fail young people, and it continues to fail young positive folks. It continues to fail young Black MSMs, trans people, and women. Mm. HIV is a social justice issue. That's why I think a lot of people realize when it comes to stigma and misinformation is that it goes deeper than just a virus or just quote unquote an asteroid, which is an infection. Um, the system around us in a society that is to protect us from getting trans or getting HIV or transmitting HIV is just not there. And I think that it's so unfortunate, especially with the current climate that we're in, that it consistently fails these communities. Mm. It failed me, you know? All right. Well, I got comfy. I got got comfy. So do you think, I think I, I used to work at a a clinic with young folks, like it, like it was ages 13 to 24, just a clinic where, mm-hmm. you know, young folks, you know, who were HIV positive or had other co-infections could come in and get treatment and just have like a safe space. And, you know, it's, it's being in that environment. Like it was never, it's not, I'm not going to say fun. It was just kind of like, here I am. I'm getting, my, <laughs> I'm getting my meds, but like the whole idea of like, living, loving, dating, like having casual sex and a lot of the things that you talk about on your Instagram just never really Mm -hmm. came up. So how do you think that, how did you become so comfortable with sharing your story Mm -hmm. and your journey and taking your meds and being sexy and sexual? Um, Mm -hmm. how did you get there and how do you, how can you, how do you think we can encourage folks to get comfortable as well? Mm-hmm. Well, I have like a little story. I I have to attribute my storytelling capabilities to a lot of advocates who use storytelling as an effective way to get a point across. Mm-hmm. So for me, I wasn't hearing. Actually, it was 2017, and I wasn't hearing. I wasn't doing well. I think all the things that you might have noticed when you were dealt with young people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I lived that experience. Yeah. Um, I got I got tired of the fact that I was in college. Everybody else was having sex. Everybody else was exploring themselves. And I still couldn't do it. And remind you, I'm 25. I'm 20. Ooh, I'm 26 now. But at that time, I was 25. Mm-hmm. And I kind of hit my I hit my breaking point. My clinic was like, okay, well, here, go to USCA, which is the United States Conference on AIDS. Just go. It's in DC. You got to Florida. Just just try it. And I was like, all right, well, I hate my job, so I'll do it. I got accepted into the Youth Initiative Program, which is a special program that targets young people um, who are living with HIV mm-hmm. um, as just a way to get us all like in one room together and give us coping skills. <laughs> for me, 
I, because you know, I think that's why I just, I never, I think in the dialogue historically with trying to keep us alive, I don't think they planned for this moment, which was like, well, they got us to a point of sustainability, we're taking our meds, but now what? <laughs> right. Like, there was no, like, here's how you think, here's how you fuck, it was more like, just stay alive. And I'm like, well, we already are alive, like, can we, how do we date now? Right. So, I went to USCA, which was amazing, and when I tell you, I literally felt like, you know how you take a fish out of a water mm-hmm. tank, and then you hold it in the air for five minutes, and you drop it back in? I literally felt like I had just been breathing for the first time. And I didn't, I like, I remember walking into the hotel and going, I'm mm. safe. Like, it's okay. Like, just something came over me, and I had so much support coming in and so much love. I never in my entire 25 years of life mm-hmm. ever felt as liberated, as loved, as powerful as I did at this conference. Um, because everybody at the conference, I mean, the, and the hotel, like, vibe, they shut the hotel down. They had, like, a rainbow water fountain. I mean, everything that was USDA, was HIV awareness, it was a symposium. I mean, you name it, they had it. I loved it. I needed it. And I was uh, surrounded by 20-something other young people who were going through what I went through. Mm-hmm. And some of them were project coordinators. Some of them were like you. Some of them were just like me. They were just rambunctious little fucks who <laughs> got on a plane and got accepted to a program um and it's so funny story time her uh so we had a hurricane in florida so i had i wasn't able to go back into florida from dc no way no yeah so i was they were like no they canceled they shut down all the airports in florida you just have to stay here and they funded me there, and it was great and i think at that one moment of like just everybody leaving and I'm, I'm crying my eyes out i'm so hard I'm, I'm so sad my friends are gone i have to go back to florida you know the whole dialogue of sorrow mm-hmm. and grieving and in that moment i think i just broke i think i broke but i also met like gina kamaya louie vadia masanya jd miss mikey Veronica, all these people who loved on me and i think because i had acquired mentorship or because I had shaken hands with so many people and people gave me their numbers, I had so much support. Mm-hmm. I felt I felt powerful and liberated and empowered enough then to be like, yo, fuck it. I am Tiffany Marrero. I have HIV. I'm sex positive. I want to have sex. I'm going to have sex. And anything, any of the naysayers that I was always worried about, you know, the stigma that comes along with HIV. Yeah. I knew that I wouldn't have to handle it on my own because I had people in my corner. And so, I don't know, I guess a piece of advice that I would give to any young person is, first of all, don't do this on your own. Don't try. You need mentorship. If you're in the closet because you're LGBTQ, if you're about to transition because you are trans, if you are um, a positive person, you want to come out. Before you jump, make that jump, which I, I highly encourage you do, you got to find your mentors. Mm-hmm. I mean, Story time again. So <laughs> yes, please later. give them to me. So, so listen, listen. So, um, now I'm, I'm 25, right? I maybe had sex awkwardly one time. I come home from Florida and Florida, right? And I'm like, I'm going to fuck like a monkey. It's going to be great. I'm empowered. I am my own person. <laughs> you equals you, uh, prep, blah, 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 right? So I have sex and that same night, I literally break down in tears. Like, I feel tainted. I feel ugly. The years of systemic oppression that was put on to me, mm. all of the, 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 the advertising against HIV-positive people, the, the notion that we don't have body autonomy, all of that came pouring down on me. It was horrible. Mm. And I was just in a bathtub. And 
I call my mentor, Gina Brown. She's from the Southern AIDS Coalition. Mm-hmm. At 7 in the morning, she's like, hello. And I'm like, Gina, I had sex. And yeah. And she's like, okay. Like, <laughs> right. I had, sex. I, had, I had sex. And she's like, all right, so. And I was like, wait, like, I can have sex? She's like, yeah, girl, what do you, what do you think I do? <laughs> she's like, yeah. I'm like, what do you think for all positive women? I was like, she's like, you know, body positive women have a right to have sex. They have a right to enjoy sex. Right. What are you crying about? You didn't transmit. He knows you have, you know, you disclose your status. Was it good? And I was like, but I, I feel like, no. I mean, I just remember, like, fighting her because I was like, wait, wait, I can have, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I can have sex, too. I can enjoy sex. I can put pussy in. I can have my butt lick. I can go engage in kink. I can go engage in BDSM. What? Yeah. Like, I just. But I, I never had somebody tell me that. And I remember, and now, even to this day, I work through systemic kind of oppression, and I work through really ignorant um, traits that have just been, or not traits, but, you know, um, programming and, and conversations that have been drilled into me that I shouldn't have this, I shouldn't feel this way. And it, it had not it been for the mentorship that she gave me, I probably would be dead in the tub. Like, I think the the, the fear, the self-hate, mm. all would have been so bad for me, I probably wouldn't be alive. I, we wouldn't be talking right now. I'd be dead someplace. Damn. I never thought yeah. about, I just, you know, I never thought about the mentorship piece and story mm-hmm. time. Um, I think that, like, when I was looking at your, I think you're the first person, honestly, like, that, like, you know, that, that we follow each other on Instagram and I was looking at your profile. Cause I think, I think we started following each other a while ago. And, yeah, a long time ago. and then when I saw your name, I was like, positively Tiff. I was like, um, you know, like whatever, like just a <laughs> positive person. Right. Like not really thinking. And then, you know, I started scrolling through your profile and I was like, damn, like this girl's gorgeous. Like, Oh wow. Like she got this hashtag undetectable pussy, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And like, all of these different things. And, you know, to be completely honest, the first thing that came across my mind was like, oh my gosh, like her face is out here. Like, isn't she scared? Isn't she scared? Like somebody's going to be like, look at this girl or like, look at this. Like she's just out here with it. Or I just feel like the, the just, I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) the stigma was just so deep. I was like, I was like, I clearly work with folks with HIV. I got friends who have who are HIV positive, but all the folks that I know have just been like, it's just a part of my life. Like, I never thought about like the dating aspect, the um, just being, you know, just being out there with it, the disclosure part. And I think the my default thought was, isn't she afraid someone's going to try and use that against her, or isn't she afraid that like someone's going to like post her picture up and be like, beware of this person? And so. I think when I started looking at your profile, it was the first time that I saw somebody so like out there and being like, yo, I want to have sex, like making videos and being like, I want to have sex. I want to do this thing. I I want to be out here. Right. Like how did, like, do you think it's the mentorship and just, you know, taking care of yourself that got you to that point where you could be like, okay. Or is it the, is it just the is HIV and what kind of attitude that got you there to see this as not uh, putting your status out there and throwing it out there as a, as a big deal? Mm. 
Well, I think I have a I have a little bit of privilege in the sense that I was I don't know if it's privilege, mm-hmm. but because I was born with it, um, having an SPD and STI is my norm. Mm. But for everybody else, it's not their norm. Right. And this is my norm. This is the only life I've lived. Right, right. So, um, y- yes, the stigma is I, I do get afraid of it. but And I also, I think you have to be really self-aware. Like, I think in general, anybody who decides to be anything part of sexual um, what health, I mean, sexual health educators, sex workers, like anybody who even can a- acknowledge sex as something that's important and a part of the flow, yeah, that I have to have a thick skin. I think the only thing that really keeps me doing this is my mentors because mm. I know that no matter what somebody says, right. I know they'll have my back. And, and I know that also because the system, my social work part of me, because <laughs> the system has failed people in educating the public on um, different sexual attributes or, you know, um, STD, STI prevention, so on and so forth, that I can't really, while I get mad at people, because some people do not like me at all. They don't like my my push of sexuality. They don't Mm -hmm. like the fact that I'm positive and that I like PrEP and that I believe in you, it was you. So people are very uncomfortable with that. Mm -hmm. And I know where it's coming from, so it's an easier pill to swallow, where if I had just did this if I was 18 and didn't really, and really was susceptible to ignorance and um, didn't have an army behind me, I think I would be more sensitive. But, you know, I do know, and you probably know, especially in the black community, uh, we're dealing with a lot. We're dealing with religion. We're dealing with post-trauma. Hell we're dealing yeah. with anti-blackness, anti-feminine. We're dealing with a white, heteronormative, super sexist ideology that I, just me existing, just me breathing, Hello. fights against. Okay. You know, even you existing fights against. <laughs> and I think that gives me comfort because I'm like, yo, they never even, let me get off my, my soapbox in a second, but <laughs> they never even created a spot for me at the table. So let me go ahead, get a chair, get my own force, and let me scoot up on here on this table and let me be a part of the narrative because no one even thought about me when they were creating this ideology as far as, like, how sex should be, who, what, where, when, or why. You weren't created, and I wasn't created. So we have to make ourselves a part of this community. We have to make ourselves a part of the norm. As long as I'm breathing, I promise you, I am going to dismantle this white heterosexual normativity. I think it's toxic. I think it's bullshit. Yeah. So, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not a soapbox at all. And And I think one of the things that blew me away is that a few months ago, I did a show on, um, like, STIs and, like, disclosing and dating and dating with STIs. And when I was just, like, trying to research, you know, folks to talk to, there was no, like, out, I'm openly talking about this woman of color. Like, I was trying to find, eh, person of color, woman of color, like, anybody to talk about it. And I just, and I couldn't. And so the the person that, that I got on there, she's a social worker and she has done like her, when, when she approached me, she was like, well, I've dated a lot of folks with like HIV and STIs. Like, I don't have a problem like talking about it and kind of talk. So we did like the opposite. We kind of talked through like, how is it like dating, you know, dating folks with STIs and like kind of dispelling the myths and breaking down the taboos around that. And a conversation mm-hmm. that we ended up having was like, yo, I could not, like, I couldn't Google search and find women of color 
who were open about their status and documenting and talking about their journey. And I honestly felt it's because like, like you're saying, it's all of these systems, oppressive systems Mm -hmm. in place because all the women that showed up were like documented in Cosmo and had their own blogs and everything, but they are able to sustain themselves. Like they're able to work independently. They're probably able to get speaking gigs. They're able to probably walk into their workplace without the stigma. And I think when I saw your profile, that's where that stigma that, Oh my God, girl, are you okay? Or is everything like, are you sure you want to tell them? Are you sure? Because we know that through whatever you disclose that, you have HIV. Could that put you out of your job? If you disclose, you know, right, different right. things about yourself as a woman of color, we don't have the space or the autonomy at times to just be unapologetically ourselves because we don't know what comes with that. We don't know if we're going to lose our jobs. Yeah. We don't know if someone's going to, like, when I said, like, are you afraid someone's going to use this against you? Who the hell knows? But they're more willing to do that to us because they don't view us as highly as high and so right. that's why when I saw your stuff, I was like, oh, wow, she's really, she's really out here, like, try me if you want to. <laughs> try me. I got my little contract <laughs> on deck. Um, <laughs> and it's funny because I thought about the same thing with you. I just, I don't think there's enough women of color, first of all, yeah. who are on this sexual liberation train. Mm. And not only that, I also find with women of color, I think it's also kind of like, so... Talking to other positive women who tend to be older, I notice that there's like this sort of atmosphere of like, well, I give up, you know, I give up to God or, you know, mm. I don't really date anymore. I don't mm. put myself out there like anymore or, you know, and I feel like there's like this sort of dimension. Once you get HIV, you're done. Like, that's it. Like, you don't right. date anymore. You don't marry anymore. You're off the market. You know, oh, because you had sex without condom. That's that's what you get. Mm. Right. And that's like, mm. I that's what I hate about even, like, some commercials around, like, safe. Like, first of all, I don't even like to use the word safer sex sometimes. I feel like um, it's almost like, well, safer sex equals condoms. So if I don't use condoms, I'm not having safe sex. So whatever I get, I deserve because I didn't have safe sex. Safe sex. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, oh, because I put myself at this risk. It's just, it's very backwards. And you know what kills me? And you probably know, um all these, like, super sex, it's just, like, like, 20 million people, you know, I read on the CDC website that have, you know, at SC, and almost half of them um, are young people, right. and it's just, like, well, and, and then at that point, that kind of fuels me to talk and be more transparent about my lived experiences. I have two of my friends who got AIDS herpes in college, another one got two of them, four, four, so I, all my four friends, all of them have had an S, an STD in their lives, mm-hmm. and they're my age, and it's the same thing over and over again, they come to me, they're crying their eyes out, because they didn't really know about condoms, they didn't know how to tell their boyfriend about condoms, or if he, he thought I would be a hoe if I said about condoms, and condoms would be so weird, and all these, all of these crises come from it's not even, like, the STD itself. It's, like, the air and the atmosphere around it. Mm-hmm. That is, like, so... And I, and I myself, I'm over here, like, well, girl, that's my experience. Like, I don't know what you want me to tell you, like... <laughs> this is my life? <laughs> this is... this. You're surprised, and I'm like, well, welcome to the club, girl. Get a shot, get a pill. You know, and they're like, well, how are you so... Well, how are you so comfortable? Or how are you not freaking out? And I'm like, well, because if you know... 
I don't think a lot of people, if you know the stats, you know the science behind what you're freaking out about, you wouldn't freak out so much. Like, right. legitimately, half of young people have had an STD or currently have an STD. So by the time you're 30, all of your friends would have yeah. had an STD anyway. Right. Yeah. So what you freaking out about? Like, right. You know, so in some in some ways, I think my existence, my transparency, um, be holding a porn space. I think I am almost like the um, I think I'm like the foreshadowing of the future. Like I think I will be able to say, like, here's how you grow old with an STD. Considering half of us would have had one or currently will have them by the time we're all fifty and sixty, anyway. No, Does that and, make sense? and that's exactly like. It's it's funny because when I became when I became as I st- <laughs> as I became a sex educator, however you want to take that, I think the focus mm-hmm. is always on like prevent, prevent, prevent. We don't want this to happen. We don't want this to happen to people. And then I kind of started thinking like, okay, that's such a of course, yes, prevent. It's a great message. Right. But am I alienating folks in the room? And this is what kind of got me to change the way that I teach about STDs and STIs and HIV is I started thinking, okay, if we just keep talking about like, no, you don't want to have this. This is so terrible. No, like protect yourself at all costs. And, you know, this is the way you're going to do it. How how am I speaking to or how am I coming off to the person in the room whose mother has HIV or whose family member right. has, you know, has an STI or has had one for themselves and now they're sitting in, the, in mm. my class. And so something I started really changing up is just that message. And so now in all of my classes when, you know, because you always got you always got that group of people who are like, oh, like, wow. Oh, this is, yeah, you know, yeah. the, you always got the I, yuck factor. I would never get it. Oh, my God, because you was, yeah, I don't know. Right. Or it's just like, oh, like, no, no, that's not for me. Or I love when I, in my HIV testing days, I used to be a person that would test folks for HIV, the, oh, I don't need that kind of, <laughs> kind of talk. I started. I'm not that person. Right, exactly. So I started changing it up and being like, okay, let's just get this out of the way right now. When we're just literally looking at the numbers and the stats, we are each going to fall on. in love, know somebody, uh, marry somebody, date somebody, have someone in our world who has an STI. So what are we, like, we need to really stop tripping right now. Like, there's no ick factor Thank anymore. You. It is about how are we going to have conversations? How are we going to clear the air? How are we going to make sure that folks aren't feeling too stigmatized to disclose and feel comfortable being their, you know, being their genuine selves? How are we going to make sure that folks are being true and honest and have agency over themselves too? Because I think that's something that also comes up in the workshop I just did this weekend. Someone was like, well, you know, this guy didn't want to share, like it was a, it was, it was somebody who was saying that their friend didn't want to tell their partner that they had HIV and they had been living together. And so I felt like they were, I mean, there were so many different opinions in the room. Like, you know, of course, like from gasp to like, Oh, that's just messed up. Like that person deserves to go to jail to when I started thinking Mm -hmm. about it, I was like, okay, why do they feel that way? And is there right. not disclosing part of their agency and being like, maybe they're undetectable. Maybe they feel like they ain't shit to talk about. Like, I don't know. And, and that's where I kind of had to leave the answer. I was like, I can't, I can't tell you what's in that person's mind, but like, it could be that they're just like, yo, 
I, this is not that big of a deal. Or maybe they feel like I'm undetectable or maybe they feel like I got it handled. We talked like, I don't know. There's a whole range of issues, but I think we got to move from this like ick, that that stigma factor, which is what I think you're doing an incredible job of doing. And you're showing, you're showing a face, right? Like I think for so long, we don't have a face to these things. And typically if there is a face, the face is white and the face is blogging about it. And the face is like, you know, gets to go on, on speaking tours and stuff. And the face is, is and if we do have an assumption about it, it's definitely like, oh, I could always tell when somebody has an STI or, oh, they look sick or whatever the hell is out there. Oh, and it's so, so bad. <laughs> and it's so bad because it's like, you know, one of my mentors said this, like uh, a white woman, a black woman, an Indian woman to walk into a room. I mean, automatically you assume, well, the white woman was maybe attacked, and the Indian woman was really smart, right. and then the black woman is a drug dealer. What comes to HIV? <laughs> like, obviously, the black woman was a drug dealer, has a mom of 12 kids, was promiscuous, the white woman was, you know, probably battered, and the Indian woman is really smart, she probably doesn't have HIV. And it's like these really toxic stereotypes, which go back to institutionalized racism, that I just think we need to move past. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, and- I... I, I just, I'm still blown away every time I see your profile and you're like, just took my meds. I'm still undetectable. Now what? And so. <laughs> and I'm not always. I think also, I'm also transparent too. Like, it's right. not all butterflies and sunshine. I and mean, I'm going to conferences and I'm mm. talking to you right now. But some days I miss my medicine. Right. And and so on the days that I, I miss my meds, like, am I still allowed it body autonomy? On the days that I, in weeks maybe that I might go out and take my meds, am I still respected then? Like, for those of us in the world who taking medicines aren't just a walk in the park and it's not the easiest thing in the world, I mean, do we get respect? Do we get dignity too? Right. And I think that's why I hold this. I'm so public about it because I know that so many, especially young people. I mean, you would probably know this. Like, how many young people taking meds is difficult? Uh, and, you know, hello. sometimes for some of us, getting a sandwich is hard. And then for some of us who are on cocktails, you have to eat on a full stomach. And just some days, I just don't have a full stomach. Right. Right. Navigating every day, or if you sleep over a friend's house for two or three nights, like, are you going to pop your pills in front of your friends? Like, <laughs> It's so hard, and people don't realize that. that it's just, and, that, and, and unfortunately, there is there legitimately is no textbook for how to navigate life while positive right. as a young person. Right. And you have to put, and that a young person is forced to have to figure it out. And the, their best living, their best life, unfortunately, sometimes somebody, and there's always that one person, will find criticism to it. But that one person's criticizing isn't creating an effective solution. Right. This society that criticizes us, how I have, I'm still waiting for it. Let me know. Educate me if there is one. <laughs> has yet to create a system that supports young people living with HIV. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And it, and uh, one of the topics, and I think something to to talk about, like young people navigating certain things, like when we talk about birth control methods, right? There are certain birth control methods and that you have to take every single day or you have to remember to go back to the doctor and re-up or whatever. And mm-hmm. even when I'm teaching those classes, I'm like, so listen, if you don't like taking things every day, the pill may not be the one for you. Like, 
like we have to meet right and we need to meet people where they're at and it's and it's funny because we're talking about stigma it's not as stigmatized if a if a person misses their birth control pill you know like oh that happens like it's such a it's such a, a collective experience that so many folks who take birth control are like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just, yeah, I forgot my pill today or I forgot to get my demo <laughs> shot or whatever. But let that be, let that be a person with HIV or to someone with STI is talking about like, yeah, I forgot to take my antibiotic or I forgot to take my, you know, cocktail. It's like, oh God. It's like, so you out here trying to kill people now? Like, what are you doing? So it's just. Oh my God, literally what you just said is the big issue is people policing our bodies. Right. Like, don't police, it's not, listen, and you you can say, and I'll say this, I'll say this before I die, it is not my job to make sure that everybody who is positive doesn't transmit. Mm. My job as a positive person is to make sure that I'm good. Right. I'm legally supposed to disclose, I do that. And anything after that is just extra plus. It's not my job to hold up the world and make sure that I walk on eggshells to not make somebody else feel like they might catch, quote-unquote, something. Mm. And I just feel like that's the air around STIs and STDs in general, is that when you have an STD, it's now your job to be police. We need to know where you go. We need to know when you pee. <laughs> we need to know you don't eat. It's like, why don't we flip the script right. and put it on both sides, just make sure that we're being healthier and making smarter decisions. Right. And that we're asking... policing my body. Right. And that we're asking questions. And I think especially... Yeah. And that's why I... I, I mean, I think that there's so much, I mean, clearly, there's so many hours of this that we can talk about from, like, how do you feel comfortable bringing up the conversation? How do you bring up the conversation? And especially when we add the other gendered layer on that, I always, because I work mostly with women, I feel like, and I mean, I think this is for everybody. How do you introduce these concepts in a way as well? Because I feel like we, just no matter what the age is, we don't have the language to say like, hey, right. have you been tested? Hey, what's your status? Or hey, you know, how do you feel about using condoms? Or hey, when was the last time you actually, you know, went to the clinic? Or I don't think we have the language, which is also, I feel, contributing to so many mm-hmm. things because folks just literally don't practice and don't know how to bring things up because because we are in such a stigmatized society. We don't know how we don't know how to do things without quote hurting people's feelings because it's like you want to know the information you want to know the information but we're so stuck on like but i don't want to seem like a bitch or i don't want to i don't want to hurt their feelings if i ask them to come get tested with me and it's like okay what's the priority here and we i i I don't blame people we just we're, we're just so stigmatized and we still just don't know how to ask for what we need or just ask questions that are needed to ensure our health. And adding on to that, and you would probably agree, I posted something on Instagram recently about um, normalizing, like, the human body. Mm. And I just, we, have, we haven't normalized. So one of my persons commented, oh, well, if I if people decide to walk around naked, I, we, we, people will get horny. And I'm like, let's go okay. normalizing <laughs> the human body. Is if I saw more of my friends naked, then it wouldn't become such a outright phenomenon. Right. Story time. When I was younger, <laughs> I used to think about my mom. And I would notice hair on my mom's, you know, pubic area. Yeah. I didn't know what it was. I didn't really care. But I know 
now that I'm older, I look down and I see my pubes. It's not, I'm not surprised at it. I'm not disgusted at it because I remember like hung my mom in the shower and like maybe even touching it a little bit. I didn't know. My mom was like, get off me. And I was like, what is is this? Like, what is that? And we'll talk about it. And it was normal. Right. Uh, So when it happened to me, I was like, oh, cool. Like, I got pubes. Like, my mom does. Like, we're just like, I'm a badass bitch. Like, here we go. Um, and so what we're not, like you said, we're not normalizing the discussions. And I think what's more detrimental is like, and that's my kind of life work, I think moving forward is creating or encouraging black women, especially in the South right. to really talk about their partner, talk to their partners about what they need in the bedroom, whether it be, oh, you just got incarcerated and you're, and you're out of jail. Cool. Well, how to tell your boyfriend that to get tested? Using condoms, not using condoms, using female condoms, not having anal, having anal. Right. Stuff like that, especially for marginalized groups, especially for women in the South. Absolutely, absolutely. So something that we brought up a few moments ago was this hashtag that I... I Listen, you be teaching me a lot. <laughs> I know you think, like, you're just posting pictures out here, but you use this hashtag, undetectable pussy. What... Mm-hmm. Tell us more. What is that? What, do you, what are you telling us right now? What am I telling you? <laughs> well... Thanks to the CDC, let me give a little, uh, I don't like to use stats, but just so I give you yes. background context and you can't get sued. The <laughs> NIH backed up the science of the first one of HIV, a second match for like at least six months, and has achieved, you know, undetectable viral load, they cannot transmit. It's only sexually though, right? So Hold on, say that, say, that one, say that one more time. Ready? So NIH, National Institute of Health, you yeah. can go online, you can check them out, NIH AIDS. If you want to look it up, uh, they back they backed up the science that if a person with HIV has taken their meds for at least six months and they maintain undetectable viral load, they cannot transmit, cannot, will not, has not, not is going to, will not in any certain sexually way transmit their uh, HIV virus. And so, so does this mean that that folks need to get tested every six months to ensure that they're still undetectable? So, I mean, it's based on your, you know, your, I mean, they suggest every three months. Okay. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Wait. Ooh. So for me, at, uh, every about three months that I go, that I have my undetectability. But as long as you're, I mean, if it's been one year and you've been on your meds every single day and you've maintained an undetectable uh, status, I mean, you're good to go. Wow. Uh, obviously, medically speaking, depending on your medical. So for me, I go see my doctor about every, I get my blood work. Every three months, okay. and I see her two weeks later for a checkup. Wow. And that's my, my personal care. But I'm also on a cocktail, and um, my doctor knows I'm slick as shit, so she needs to make sure I'm doing my shit correctly. <laughs> <laughs> she knows I'll be on that stuff sometimes. So, <laughs> yeah. So, and, and then the, the NIH, you know, they backed up this notion. You cannot transmit. So, undetectable. So, there's this campaign. You guys can check it out. It's called You Equals You. Undetectable equals untransmittable, and it just it talks about. If you want more information on that, go check out that site. And it just it talks about just the liberation of positive people now. I mean, as long as you're on your meds and you're taking it every, you know, as you should, as your physician states you should, and you're maintaining undetectable viral load, you cannot transmit. Cannot, will mm-hmm. not. It's not negligible. It's not one percent. Like you will not transmit. And there have been studies of this to yes. prove that. To let people know that, you know, the science is real. 
So that's why I made Untouchable Pussy, Untouchable Dick, Untouchable Hole. It's like a play on words. I think it reminds people that although science is cute and we need it, that positive women, you know, we have body autonomy. And we need to remind you guys that we fuck too. Like, I want to be romanticized. I want to be eroticized. And I don't always want to be an HIV educator, right? I think one of the hardest things with being young and being maybe me is that I have to oftentimes be an HIV educator one-on-one all the time, right? Like, in bars or wherever I am. Like, I have to kind of... I can't just go up and be like, oh, hey, Vanessa, you're cute. Like, let's go back. Let's have some drinks. Let's yeah. flirt. Let's get into it. I have to be like, well, I have HIV. And nine times that time, I'll say, well, what's HIV? I have to be like, okay, well, goddamn, like, put my <laughs> shirt back on. Well, HIV is. <laughs> you know? You know what I'm saying? Like, I have my underwear off. And he's like, where's your How do you get it? When do you get it? I don't get tested. How do you do it? And, blah, blah, blah. and so, untouchable pussy is just my way of, like, it's, it's, it's playing with, it's, it, it's normalizing the conversation. So, you guys know, hey, I'm still young and that I'm still out here and that this pussy is untouchable. So, come eat it, basically. <laughs> So like, how do out. how do those conversations go? I know you said that you had two lovers. How how did you how did you introduce it and what was their reaction? So right now I made a contract. I made a sex contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know there was a thing come back in the day of like a sexual consent contract. Mm-hmm. Well, I basically like Google literally on my like two AM. Um, I'm on a committee around criminalization and HIV. So I'm going to a conference actually next week mm-hmm. called HIV is not a crime. Nice. Because one thing, one thing that's the one thing apart about disclosure is that although U equals U is around and it's scientifically backed up, laws have not fallen in line with U equals U, unfortunately, especially in Florida. And it's a felony charge actually in Florida. So oh, if wow. someone says, Hey, Tess, um, you know what? Hey, Tiff, you're not. You're a bitch. I hate you. I don't like you. And they can go to Broward BSO tomorrow and say that we had sex and condoms and no condoms. Untouchable, not doesn't really matter. They can um, say that I didn't disclose my status and I will have a felony charge on my case. And I know friends of mine who are positive. Who uh, I have a friend actually now. He got two years in jail and had to drop out of Florida State. Um, because his partner said that he didn't tell him and he went to jail for it. How the hell would they know? And he just got off of probation this past year. Yeah. Two years. And he's brown. So we're not even going to mention that. Right. I was like, what? And he's brown. He's not brown. He's blue eyes. Right, right, Uh, right. So, so I created that contract and I'm getting it ran over. I'm getting it legally looked over now. I don't know how much they'll hold up. Just, a, because I, I have to create these contracts, Vanessa. I don't, I don't, it's not that I want to create contracts. Right. It's not that I enjoy having to have someone dot the line and, like, sign their name away. Right, but, it's, but, it's, but you're right. But the have laws to. haven't caught up, <laughs> and if people could lie on other people, what, right. like, what's keeping people... Damn, and this is why people don't... See, ah, mm-hmm. and this is Two why years. people don't disclose, because... I could have said something or we could have had a conversation about it and then you could have gotten vengeful. Like, there's just so many layers. Wow. Or, I mean, I mean, let's say I have the contract on my DocuSign. Right. go to the club. DocuSign. I say, hey, I, I, I come home, I come home. And he's like, and I say, hey, I have HIV. He's like, what? I was like, yeah. After we kiss, he gets mad, chokes me out. Right. Me up, and then 
you know, you're watching the news and there's a dead body behind a, a trash can. Right. So oh. now we're talking about victimization right. of me. So, you know, whenever I do socialize these people, I mean, all my mentors, my locations on, half the time these people are on social media just because can't nobody say... <laughs> Can nobody say that they didn't know? Like, girl, no, listen, social media, tell the social media, tell Vagistine what you just said. Like, don't don't come for me saying that I didn't tell you. Cause right, because sure I definitely did. Where I am. So if you're on 7 News, you know that I was at 24-7. Damn. <laughs> I see why I myself on the snap. <laughs> Yo, that's such a, wow. That, I mean, I knew about yeah. that. I knew about that, but I just... Again, just never, it's, it's not part of my world every day. So I don't think about all the nuances because I think what happens is, and when I'm training adults and, you know, and I'm training them on how to work with young people. And I remembered, oh man, this lady in the training, this was the, the, my, one of my, you know, one of my friends brings this up all the time because she was in the training with me. And she mm-hmm. said, this is the first time I ever, like, just blasted off and lost my cool on somebody. Because yeah. this lady said yeah. something. We were talking about STIs. And she said something like, uh-uh, like, if you come to my house, you better tell me you have HIV. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, ma'am, what? And she was like, no, you're not, to, you're not about to be eating my food and doing... Man, when Mm-mm. I tell you, my, my friend told me that I I moved my ass from one part of the room to her <laughs> physical body and came up to her and was okay. like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's ignorant. You break. We got to break. Like, it was like, a, it was like a seven hour training. And I was like, nope, I'm not doing this with y'all no more. We're not doing this. That's not happening. We're not talking about that. We're not saying those words. And so it's like in those instances, yes, I realize it's stigmatized. But, you know, I'm thinking like, oh, you know, it's one person. It's violent. It's violent. I mean, what if she, you know, what if she threw a pan? What if she thought? I mean, it's it's violent. It's prompting a violent attitude towards positive people right and then you have and then of course the only thing that we hear about with young people in hiv is those stories i mean i feel like there's one that just keeps coming up up here where is this guy he slept with all these women and he was like knowingly like he was broken Uh, up with and like he was knowingly like giving them hiv and then folks are like duh of course yeah you gotta jail you gotta lock those people up and so it's like this it's like this catch-22. It's like, damn if you do, damn if you don't. In some cases, violence is inflicted. Like, wow. It's a lot. I did not well, think about all those multiple layers. And those cases are far a few behind. I mean, a lot of times, um, especially recently, um, the criminalization comes up a lot with, like, sex workers, too. Like, you have women who have to get their coin, and, you know, it's like, for them, it's even more violent. And for them, they can... And not only that, violence, in, in their cases, it's sustainability, it's mm-hmm. income, it's money. And, you know, we're quick to look at these women as, like, oh, you should have told them. Yes, we should have told, but, like, look at how you're reacting to my disclosure. I can only imagine if you are a person of, of um, a trans experience or if you're a man and, you know, we have this sort of, like, to- toxic masculinity coming. I mean, it, we all, like, like I said, we all expect someone to do something, but we're not setting in barriers or systems in place to catch them when shit hits the fan. But then we want everyone to do the right thing. That's not fair. Yeah. You know? 
So, I mean, that's initially why I created it. And I think also I created the, the contract, too, is to just help me work on my communication. Because right. I, I, I'm not the greatest at disclosing my status. Mm. I mean, in personal and, and intimate settings. Not only that, like, I'm not even that great just yet on talking about, like, encouraging condoms. I'm not that great on being like, hey, like, I'm sitting in my butt. Like, I'm working <laughs> on those conversations right. i'm working on communicating my needs to my partners but i mean it takes baby steps and it i does. think with a contract it forces me to have to take a step further and be like okay so now that you signed it uh i really like i like anal or, right you know i don't like or i like or i like head you know, no, you know what i'm saying encouraging yeah. these conversations like living what i'm talking because i'm not just talking about i'm actually living it right and right. i have issues i'm not perfect right me. absolutely <laughs> i mean like i said like we need practice on how to be able to bring things up like i feel like that's the that's i mean if the top five things of folks don't know how to do when it comes to like sex and sexuality and sexual health is how to bring mm-hmm. up it's literally things on how, what you like and what you don't like uh how to get your partner to stop doing the thing that you don't like because we're stuck on hurting their feelings or fake orgasms like there's just so many layers of um pieces of communication that is uncomfortable and, or like so bad right or like imply or implied consent like that oh. whole other ballpark yes right all of the Ugh. asking for consent and young young to seasoned i will ask like all right y'all so how can we ask for consent why don't people ask for consent and literally the answer i get all the time is that's not sexy or that just breaks the mood or like you should know like you should feel the vibes like so we are literally in a society where people are afraid or don't mm. know how to bring certain things up. So I totally, I totally understand. Have you gotten your two partners to sign this contract? Or is this in case you want to open up your relationship more? It's just to stir the pot a little bit. I'm still getting it read, read over by a legal team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it will even hold up. Um, one of my partners is positive. Yeah. So he's good. And the other one I met at a testing site. Uh, he's like the one. See, this is why I, I love the HIV community, but there's never any like straight men. So when I saw him the straight guy, I was like, "You and I do this now." So the only reason I'm not making him do a contract is because he literally like he gets up the next day, he's like, "Oh, I have to go test." Bye. Right. He gets <laughs> you know, it. Like okay, y'all are able to you know, talk I have about to it. Go, right. I have to go give a HIV one-on-one test, so he he gets it. Um, but wow. moving forward, I will be, and unfortunately, until the laws get a lot better right um for your protection pushing, literally for yeah. i think and i will be and you'll be seeing more names not i might be, i may just put first names out there and so i think it's also a way of me being like petty you know mm. there's people out there who really hate that i'm sex positive mm. so it's my way of being like well look i fuck justin sam dylan and sage bitch what's up you mad here's the contract they did it you mad you angry here's robert david and daniel and my booty and i did it and i did it are you mad it's like my right. way of being like yo fuck you right i still get some right your daddy probably wants some if you could bye and you're ugly you were and you're trash. <laughs> and I mean, like, you know, like I low key, like I low key, am so excited for my first couple of partners. Yeah, that, that shit's gonna. I'm gonna start targeting organizations and people and be like, ha, I still get the D. No, you but go. you're right because, like you said, like we don't think about HIV positive people as like sexual, pe- like what which person. First of all, 
who's a HIV positive woman activist? And then when we think about mm. HIV positivity, we think about Magic Johnson, right? But Mm-hmm. Magic Johnson's not out here like, yeah, we still like I think Magic Johnson's still trying to just toe the line of being quote normal and being seen as like I'm 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 the poster child, like everything's good here. My wife stays with me. Like they're not sexual. Yeah, it's, not fair. it's not fair because also he was wasn't he married when he still con- when he contracted HIV? Yes, he was married. So, like, yeah, he was married and he had to tell his wife. And he had to like and do all the was, phone calls. His and wife stuff. was like, "Cool, I'm not gonna leave forty thousand dollars, so or forty million dollars. Let me just stay with him. That's cool, but like, I'm single. Right. I don't have that luxury. Right. And it's another thing is, I think in, within our community, a lot of women who contract HIV were still have kids and got married. Yeah. Like that's cute for y'all, but like, right. It's either the marriage part or the thing that I think about is the like. Oprah, Oprah sometimes does these like recap stories on like where are they now, and like I feel like our narrative with like how Black women get HIV, it's solely oh. on it's solely on one either being promiscuous or I feel like the the biggest narrative is because your boyfriend was down low or your man was down low, your husband was down low, and that's how you got it. And it's like oh my gosh, I wasn't active in this. Like they came home and I got sick and. Like, we don't have a narrative. One, I, that's the thing. We don't have a narrative of, um, of just, like, one, just people, one, people who are born with HIV still. We don't really have the narrative mm-hmm. of those people growing up. We don't have the narrative mm-hmm. of it just being like, all right, well, I'm here, and I want to date, and I want to just do me. So there's just so many different narratives that we don't have, or... We don't even have the narrative of like that woman who got it from her husband who was on the DL and now she's out here dating and living her life and not crying on TV. Like, not that you shouldn't cry. <laughs> like, if that's your story, I mean, like that's yeah. messed up. That's messed up. Like, that's not okay. Like your your partner shouldn't have lied to you. Your partner shouldn't have said that they were something that they weren't. But it's yeah. like it's only it's like a woman scorn type of storyline or like she's just in oh my god like that hiding so what's that movie by tyler perry where the girl oh no i got so mad i said so but what got me mad and again but you can imagine it is what if she ended up coming out in a fucking trench coat Yo. she went to church like, the, her, her outcome of her life was tr- not even trash it was terrible like, whoa, 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 whoa. so she gets hiv and that's it like she just goes to church with her mom every Wednesday. And then there we go. The other narrative is that it's a punishment. She's being punished because she was out here thotting up outside of her marriage and she's light-skinned and, like, it's, like, literally, it is literally, like, it's your punishment. You got HIV because you're, you're a bad woman. Not, and that's literally all we have. So that's why I think, like, Today, when you posted that you were going to be on this show, all the people that started following me then, I started looking at their profiles. I was like, look at all these pods, like, young people. Like, what? Like, I just, ah, y'all are out here. Good job, guys. I know. Like, y'all are just really out here, like, literally changing the narrative because we just, we don't have anything else. And and I think that that's still... I mean, it it was a shock for me when I saw your profile, so I know it's a shock to literally everyone who just 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 everyone. We don't have we don't have another narrative for it. 
We don't have anything else. That's good. I mean, that's good that you're being shocked. It's good that we're, you and I are talking and you and I are collaborating yes. on Now in the Life Forever. Yes. So you know. <laughs> um, it's all, and, and then, like, just you holding space. And, I mean, I'm glad that they're following you because I feel like it's great that I'm talking to you, but there's a whole other right. type of person, like, to the MSM who caught it. In, right. Or gay. Right. MSM being the MSM. No. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're, they're, they're trans people. Like, their existence and their expression. I think the more we hold space, right. the more we claim to love, the, the more we utilize social media for what it is, I think it can move the narrative. I think that the people who don't like it will have to swallow their pride. They'll have to get up off the table or back up off the way and we can create, you know, a new a new life for us, I think. And I just it's important that I don't know, we do this change, you know, every you know, we, we rebuild and we make space for people who deserve to have space. Yes. That's what I think. I mean, yeah. you just dropped the mic on that one. But I have one more question though. Do you have Yay. any opinions on prep? And for those who don't know what PrEP is, can you explain what PrEP is? Pre-exposure prophylaxis, uh, basically, it's, right now it's Trivada. Uh, and basically what that was is if my partner, I'm AJ Positive Woman, mm-hmm. went on PrEP, they, it's another barrier against contracting HIV and AIDS. I love PrEP. Um, by the way, if you want to get more information, NIH, the CDC, um, check that out. But mm-hmm. I love PrEP. I think it's one more step towards liberal, uh, sexual libera- liberation. I think especially for men, because, you know, with men, HIV transmission is higher compared to for women. Mm-hmm. So my capability of transmitting to my partner is less than um, men who sleep with men or men who sleep with women, the transition yes. from positive men to their partners. And I think it's a solution. Honestly, like, I think the biggest solution, to be honest with you, is that we all need to get on PrEP. Everybody mm-hmm. should be on PrEP. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. should all be taking PrEP. Because at the end of the day, it's one. I just, I love that PrEP is kind of like, if, what if we have PrEP for everything? What if we have a PrEP for a syphilis committee? What if we <laughs> right. just... You know what I'm saying? If we had a certain tool that people who aren't in the STD, HIV, STD, STI community had, then it will put us all on the same level. Right. And I feel like the impact of PrEP literally does that for the people who love us, the people who are for us, who are negative, it puts us all on the same level of responsibility. Like, you take that pill every single day, and it makes sure that you can, you are, um, least likely to get HIV from a partner. In the event you know that person, in the event, I mean, PrEP is for everybody. It's not just for my partner, it's for anybody who has any sort of sex. It's just like the female con and how the female con, if you put it on, I think, eight hours before you go out, you can wear it for the whole day, and right. it's, another, it's another prevention tactic. Does that make sense? And I think totally. on top of that, I think it's another tool to make sure that everybody is responsible for their sexual health. Not just the positive people making sure that we don't give it to our partners. Right. You know, I think it alleviates that stress. I think it alle- and it holds everybody accountable. I, 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 I love PrEP. I love that. I love that, um, you know, it's not just us anymore in this fight against policing ourselves. <laughs> you know, we're all in this together. No, I totally, I'm with you. And I think the thing about prep that, that we need to kind of shy away from, it's, I think, I think the way that folks were originally talking about it, it was like, if you're at the highest risk, you know, and it's like, who, like, yes, we know that there are folks who are at higher risk and blah, blah, blah. But what, 
but the risk is for is for everybody, you know? And so Exactly yeah. right. Well because obviously when you go on the sites, a lot of it's like, well, it's prep right for me. Well, are you an MSN? Mm-hmm. Are you a black woman? It's trans. That to me is problematic because then you're only I it's it's a double edged sword as you can get. Yes, so we of wanna course. push prep on certain communities that need it. Yes. But I think all communities should be held accountable for their sexual health. Yeah. All communities should have access to PrEP. Right. And and, and I think science should be doing its due diligence for making sort of PrEP kind of pills for all other STDs, not just HIV. But I understand that HIV has the highest stigma. It has, you know, more political pull. So I get it. I just, I love PrEP. And um, for my partner's, are they on prep right now? They're not. Mm-hmm. The reason is, like, as a positive person, I don't think I don't think that I need to push prep on my partners. I educate them on it. If they want to have it, cool. If they don't, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I just think that they're more comfortable with the fact that I'm undetectable, mm-hmm. and and that's enough for them. If they ever do want to go on prep, cool. Yeah. Um, but like, also on a double, another on the other end of it, like to not shame people who don't want to be on PrEP and who don't want to use condoms. So just making sure that we're giving other people options for the best kind of sexual health that they want to seek at their level, what they want for them. So in my little bubble, they're not on PrEP. If they want to be on PrEP, cool. If they don't, fine. Ooh. Okay, we got a listener question. Sorry. I know I said the last question Ooh. was the last question. Why do you think so I'm so ready. I talk about PrEP all day. Get on PrEP. If you want more information, Look up Chivada. Also look up CDC and H if you have more information on that too. Word. I'm done. So Macy asked, um, Macy asked a very, um, a very technical question here. Very serious question, which is, are your meds expensive? Um, and do you have insurance and how do you pay for them? Ooh, so yes, uh, Macy. So in my case, I think another misconception is the one through a day. Uh, that everybody is, any, every positive person is on one plus day. It's not true. I am on a cocktail. I take about two, six pills mm. um, in total per day. And they are very, very, very expensive. I would say the ballpark is about 5000 per month. So obviously I can't afford it by myself. You do have options. It's called ADAP, Age Drug Assistant Program. That happens in I think almost every state, mm-hmm. which basically will will flip the bill for your medicines if you need them. So if you sign up, if you say, Hey, I don't have any insurance, I need help getting meds, they will provide you with that. Most people don't need um to my knowledge anyway, don't quote me, don't need a cocktail. They just have a one pill a day, which mm-hmm. I'm not sure what that price would be. Uh, if I'm Googling it now, it's about $900 out of pocket. So you would obviously need insurance. Wow. Um, in Florida, I have Blue Cross, Blue Shield because of my job. And then anything else I can't take, I can't handle, Ride White handles, which is another insurance for positive people. Wow. Damn. Yeah. So about $5,000. $5,000. Damn. Shit. I'm not paying it. So. <laughs> I will say the system has done its job. The system on my back. They're like, yo, we can't get a lot of stuff done, but what we can do is give you medicine. Although there was a time when people could not get medicine. They're on a wait list. Absolutely. There wasn't enough. That is some good information. Yeah. I really see things that you just don't think about when it's not in your world. Thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that. You're oh welcome. Oh, my gosh. Tiffany, goddess, princess, yes. queen, melanated Princess goddess, as you told me to call you earlier. 
That's what I am. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being on with us. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for just bringing us in and making us think a lot about these things. I had an incredible time. Me too. Let's do it again. <laughs> so we're going to do it again. Where can listeners find you and how can we support you? Okay. So I believe, as social worker me, I believe in community. Um, so, well, well, check out thebuy.com. I am a ambassador slash contributor there. I simply, I re- actually recently wrote about my contract. If you want to look up more about that, so thebody.com. Nice. Um, obviously, my social media, which you can peep out, my my Instagram and my Facebook. I'm working on branding and creating Untouchable Whole <laughs> for people who don't identify their genitals as any name, just a whole. Yeah. Um, koozies, tanks, sex toys. <laughs> so if you uh, like a product developer, a merchandiser, or whatever you chat about that, mm. come collab with me. <laughs> I will also be at Saving Ourselves Symposium in Alabama and HIV is another crime in Indiana, all in June. So if you're out there and want to say hi, want to collab, want to work on stuff, Hit me up. Also, Vagisty is in my new home. Go check her out too, because she's awesome. And I'm waiting. I want to get a doll. Like, can I have a life like a lifestyle? Of, what is it? A doll of me? Um, like, how does that happen? If you're listening, doll guy, you want spread, you want him to make you a doll. But you do it And then I'm gonna have uncomfortable pussy underwear on. Boom! And my little Vagisty, it's clit shirt on. Oh my god! You thought all about oh, this. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. So make me into a doll. That's like a funny. Oh, my God. All right. The last question is, how do you build your vagisteme? So vagisteme oh. was a term that I coined in 2014 and kind of led to this podcast and these workshops that I do. And basically, I believe that if a person has confidence of an in their vagina and vulva, that they're more likely to make healthy decisions and have a good and healthy, satisfying sex life. So how do you build your vagisteme? First, when I, I think go back to the mentorship part. Um, I needed people in my corner to advise me, to support me. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, I hold Space that was not created for me, as I said before. Granted, I am here um, against, I'm, I'm pushing against the sort of white heteronormative ideology. For me, it takes a village. It mm-hmm. really does. And I rely on my ancestors and my support systems to keep on providing a safe space for me to vent and to grow. So, how do I build my badge team? Is just rely on my mentors and my ancestors and the people who continuously pour into me. Without them, I just, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't have any bad esteem. Yes. And every single day that I talk to them, and every single day I talk to you, and I see mm-hmm. these accounts that are being created, and every time I see a black women, woman talking about sexual liberation, it just builds up my bad esteem a little piece by a little piece by a little piece. Oh, man, that was beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> Tiffany, thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't wait to see what you do. I know you in that bitch when you got all this conversation. Always say gracious, guess we did just your paper. Ladies, now let's get information. I say, okay, ladies, now let's get information. Oh, that bitch, when you call out this conversation, I always say, gracious, that's the end of the paper.